Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. And Dolberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome to Le Beaujeu, it's the official League Arm podcast in English. Coming up on today's show, we take a look at how injury hit Paris Saint-Germain came unstuck again against bogey side Rennes. Alexis Sanchez doubles up to end Will Stills' unbeaten start to life as coach at Reims. Lens confirmed their return to form, more heroics from Lois. Five goals and one assist in two matches a pender. While Monaco had big cheddar Wissam Ben Yedder. That just doesn't it doesn't that just rhyme delightfully on target in their 2-0 derby kind of win against Ajaxio. Lidog as well, keeping up the momentum. Lille beating Toulouse in a wet and windy Rose City. There's also Deja Hu and Bon Voyage to join us and explore the jungle of French football with the official Ligue 1 podcast in English, Le Beau Jeu. Got two fine colleagues with me today, Jeremy Magon and Andy Scott, but there is only one place to start, and I think that despite the influence I have, Vladimir Schmitz's appearance at UEFA HQ for Friday's European draws was entirely coincidental and not at all linked to last week's pod anecdote. An anecdote which I have to say created an unhealthy jealous reaction from many, many of my colleagues. One of them wasn't Callum Brown. Callum was at the Parc des Princes as Paris Saint-Germain took on Rennes. Rennes, who had already beaten the QSI version of PSG. Lots of uh, acronyms in there. Three times in their previous six encounters. It's Ferrati's ball. It's just that touch. Half. Mahinas, Mbappe in behind. Killing Mbappe. Drags one wide. Ferrati's ball. A great run this time from the captain. Took one touch. It's on the left foot. Manzanza leaves it. Was certain it was going behind. Back to Messi. Mbappe's made the run. He's been picked out by Messi. Killing Mbappe. Bearing down on goal. Good stop from Montanza again. Great pass from the Argentinian. The stars of the most recent World Cup final combined. Good stop from Montanza though. Mbappe still in search. Burijo over the top looking for Toko Akambi. Carl Toko Akambi puts Ren in front. Right on the stroke of half-time. They have been fantastic in this first half. What a ball from Burijo. Toko Akambi. Not a bad way to get your first Ren goal. Here comes Ugochukwu. Ren break forward. Leslie Ugochukwu, Callum Wendell, it's two. Well, this is incredible. He doesn't celebrate the former Paris Saint-Germain player, but he has his side. Two goals in front. This is unbelievable. Juan Bernat gives the ball away. 
And PSG have done the complete opposite. Ugachuk goes ball across. Callum Wenzel comes back to bite his former side. Paris Saint-Germain now. Rain two. Here's Toko Akambi. Carl Toko Akambi. Paris Saint-Germain, masters of their own downfall once more. This ball for Marco Verratti. What a save yet again. Steve Montanda. Mbappe for Ekatiki. Much better this from the hosts. But Ren have got so many bodies behind the ball. Difficult to break down. Well, chaps, they've only gone and done it again. Pep, Genesio. I'm not sure if the uh, tactics actually that uh, did for PSG, but it was again a youth academy player from uh, PSG's ranks. Arno Calimuendo didn't come through really in the first team. What, five first team appearances? I think even in the Trophée de Champion earlier this season, headed off to Rennes. He got one of the goals. Carl Tokua can be just before half time as well. Rennes beating PSG, but the story really is Rennes beating PSG again. And Christophe Galtier, after the Champions League exit, well, does he even stay till the end of the season? Andy Scott. Uh, good morning, Ian. Yeah, I, th I think <clears throat> to answer your question, yes, I think he stays till the end of the season. I think he will. I think he will see the league title over the line. But this this has been a um, fairly regular occurrence for PSG in recent years. I mean, we know it's the fifth time in seven seasons in which they've gone out of the Champions League in the last sixteen, and there's been quite a few occasions. In the last few years, when there's been a, a, a tail off in terms of uh, results, in terms of performances, clearly, um, <clears throat> you know, there's there's a, there's a there's an issue of motivation at this point when they've been knocked out of Europe. So a year ago, they suffered a heavy defeat in Monaco on the back of being knocked out of the Champions League by Real Madrid. I remember when Thomas Tuchel uh, was in charge. It was 2019 after the Manchester United exit when um, when the the results went off a cliff. They were heavily beaten by Lille. They lost in Nantes, you know, there are a few bad results, but they still won the title. I mean, now they're still seven points ahead, <clears throat> and I fully expect PSG to, to win the title with, you know, at least two or three games to spare. Um, you mentioned that they've got a bit of a uh, a poor record against Rennes. I mean, in relative terms, yeah, I mean, compared to pretty much everybody else in, in Ligue 1, in the QSI era, they've struggled against Rennes. It's the fourth time Rennes have been to the Parc des Princes and won in the last decade and a bit more. Um, obviously, they beat them at home earlier this season. So they, they, they seem to have the Indian sign over them. Um, it was a poor performance from PSG yesterday. It is an issue. There are problems. I, I, don't, um, I don't like hearing any coach of Paris Saint-Germain complain about injuries uh, and about not essentially not being able to field a competitive team because at the end of the day, when you have the budget that Paris Saint-Germain have compared to everybody else, you should be able to to cope with even losing six or seven players due to injury. But it's an indication of uh, what has been a, a, a poorly constructed squad, I have to say. And I think um, we see that with, you mentioned Arno Calimuendo. I, I, I'm going to be honest, my um, increasingly wild eyebrows were, were raised um, out of curiosity last summer when I saw that Calimuendo had been sold and that they brought in Hugo Ekitike. I've mentioned this several times on the podcast before, the Ekitike thing I never really quite understood both from a Rams perspective and a PSG perspective. But um, to, 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 to let Kali Moendo go, just to bring in Ekitike, seemed a slightly strange one. I mean, Kali Moendo is a very different type of attacking player to, to Ekitike. 
you don't have to sort of change the way you play of your Paris Saint-Germain to fit Kelly Moendo into the team. He could kind of slot into that team. He's a very mobile, quick, um, you know, sort of low centre of gravity attacking player, whereas Eki Tike is a very different type of striker. They could have kept him and they would have had they would have had something different, um, you know, in, in attack at the moment with Neymar not being there. But he's gone to Ren and, and he's helped Ren get the victory. And these things tend to happen to PSG, right? The old boys scoring against them. So there are lots of things to talk about there. And I think, you know, the, to have the focus now on Christophe Galtier is is probably not quite the right moment. I think he will see out the season. And I think that is a discussion which will be valid another day. I know he was asked about it in his post-match press conference yesterday. And he said, well, perhaps, you know, perhaps the, the board of directors, as it were, will be thinking about my future. But I think at this moment in time, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think there's any question he will see out the season. Whether he's still there next season is a different question. It, Andy, you've got a you've got a really good point. When you look at the back three yesterday, one Bernat, one Bernat, left back, left wing back starts as the right sided centre back. <laughs> that that was one Bernat. Okay, Danilo Pereira was the probably the most experienced centre back of the lot. He's a midfielder, and on the left side, seventeen year old, undoubtedly po- huge potential. Huge teenager, uh, El Shaddai Bichyabu. But, I mean, yes, they've got Marquinhos out. Yes, they've got Ramos out. Mokieli's got problems as well. Uh, Kimpembe's out for the rest of the season. They've lost a lot of players in the same position, Jeremy. Do you, do you not have a little bit of sympathy for Galtier? You, you have to have a bit of sympathy when, when those players are injured. But I think like Angie was saying, with the budget that PSG has, uh, you just have to, to make sure your team is built to, to avoid all this. And, and when Galche says things like all those academy players basically don't know what's going on, it's also him saying that he doesn't know what he's doing in his own team and he's not preparing young players to be able to stand up. I think all season we've seen that also Galche has sort of not been able to keep one tactic straight. It was three defender, four defender, three defender. And now that doesn't have enough defenders, he decides to play with the back three when, when maybe it would have made more sense keep players in their position to have a back four, at least you would have a real left back and a real right back if you put Pembele down. So so I, I guess I'm a bit at a loss with what Galche does and, and also with his post-game press conference. He, he, he doesn't help himself. Sure, all those injuries are hard, but with the talent that there is in that PSG team, playing at home against Rennes shouldn't be an issue when Rennes is, is not even playing that well um, yesterday or sorry, the, over the weekend and, and in the last few weeks. So, you know, you, you can feel for him as far as the injuries. I also think that he's just ripping what, if, what he's been sowing all season. You had Neymar and you play with 3-4-1, you don't have Neymar, and then you change your, your tactic and, and at the back you're not doing it when you're using your players. I, I'm just having a, a real issue following what he's trying to do and, and everybody has said that. I think all season, I think he's, he's guiding a lot of guidelines or, or uh, I guess, direct orders fr- from around him. And, and at the end, he looks, he looks to me as lost as Tuchel was at the end of his adventure at Paris Saint-Germain. And it's sad because it's only um, just past halfway through his first season. Yeah, it, for me, you have to just wonder where, where did PSG go after this? They've tried the Ancelotti's, they've tried the Tuchel's, they've now tried, I think that we can agree, the best, the best French coach of probably the last, the last decade. Where, I mean, where, 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 where do you go now? And, and, and do... Other people at the club 
need to start looking and saying right okay this is we need to we need to perhaps think about the direction that that that, that we've that we've been going in i mean i think there was a bit of a sea change last summer wasn't there and they try they're trying to make this more of a parisian club more of a french club but i mean you talk about we talked about strength and depth of the of the paris squad quite a lot but if you have a look at the bench yesterday it's not so much even the first team if you look at the bench yesterday there are some there are some names on there that I don't even recognise. Nehemiah, Nehemiah Fernandez. That it. I mean, they had two goalkeepers. Were they going to bring Alexandre Letelier on up front in case Mbappe got injured? I mean, this is. They were filling out. They, they were like just literally filling out the bench. Probably I could have. You know, I was pretty close to the Parc de Prince yesterday. If I'd been, if I'd been, you know, got there early enough, I might have got on the bench. <laughs> I mean, it, it was. It's. 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 It's almost not quite getting to that point. Fortunately for PSG, but. But even so, and you know, when you think about a, a club of that stature, they should they shouldn't be script. Okay, it's a bit unfair on those those kids who are on the bench, but it's kind of scraping, looking around like stuffing the hand down the back of the sofa for a youth academy player so that we can just whack him on the bench so that so that we've actually got the numbers. I mean, I mean, this is we're we're talking about a pretty drastic situation. Yes, they've got a lot of players who've been out, but. When you when you add that to um, the Mbappe contract situation, the Messi contract situation, uh, dare I say the Neymar contract situation, which has already been sorted out, but which is taking up a lot of money and is going to take up a lot of money for the next what two three years, um, there's a there's a major re. It sounds strange. They they lead the table by seven points, but there's a major rebuilding a reconstruction or maybe just even a deconstruction and a reconstruction period to, to, to go through at PSG, isn't there, Andy? Um, yeah, there is. I mean, I mean, I suppose, you know, what, when Christophe Galtier said yesterday that he was brought here for a two-year project um, and when Kylian Mbappe, you know, has has indicated as well after the defeat against Bayern that this is, this is kind of where we're at at the moment, all of it points to them suggesting that PSG are actually in a period of transition. Um, the thing that, bugs me about it. You know, that would imply that maybe next season they will be stronger. You know, that that's the idea. They're slowly building up to be where they want to be again. But the thing that really bugs me about this is, and we're, you know, talking about the Lionel Messi contract situation, um, the, the the suggestion now that PSG are thinking, well, maybe actually we, we don't really want to extend his contract, which I tend to think might be the wise way of looking at it. I mean, the issue I have is that, you know, you of course, if you throw so much money at Kylian Mbappe and Lionel Messi, and you're aware that financial fair play um, is an issue that you have to at least, you know, try to 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 um, you know to respect financial fair play rules. Then I suppose the question is, if you're Mbappe and you're thinking, I want to play, I want to have a good team around me, then maybe there has to be a, somewhere along the line you say, well, okay, well, clearly I can't have all the money because that's hobbling the team, uh, the, the the club from from signing the players. You know, whether it be an issue of debt. You know, whether it be an issue of signing more more high level quality players and bigger wages, if you're throwing all the money at one or two or three players, obviously that is a problem. So, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that Kylian Mbappe needs to turn around and say, okay, I'm not going to take you know, 50 million euros. You can have that for 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 the wages of 10 other players. But there is obviously a question of uh, serious imbalance within the squad. Um, and and yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I think there needs to be. A clearing of the decks, pretty much. You know, I think they're 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 in that kind of a situation, and I think we're already at the point now. Where we think about, you know, how much longer do we persist with players like Verratti and Marquinhos, who've been there for a decade, 
I know this sounds a little bit extreme because they've lost the game against Wren, but I, I, th I think your point about who would be the next coach where Christoph Galtier to leave is an interesting one because while I think any coach, if he's approached by a club like Paris Saint-Germain, would find it hard to refuse, um, you know, you look at Galtier and you think, well, in a way, what's he supposed to have done? I mean, his team are seven points clear at the top of the table despite that defeat yesterday. They're well on course to win the league. You can lose a Champions League tie against Bayern Munich. Um, I suppose the one thing I would say, and similarly a cup tie away to Marseille, you know, that, that might happen. But I suppose the one thing I would say is that they didn't win the Champions League group because they didn't seem to realise the importance of scoring goals at the end of the game against Juventus in the final match day. Benfica rattled in the goals because they seemed to be aware that the group might be decided on who'd scored the most goals away from home. Benfica have since gone on to beat Club Bruges, the weakest side in the knockout stages of the Champions League, and they're now in... The, certainly the favourable side of the draw in the quarterfinals. So that could have been PSG. So that's one thing you could hold against them. But otherwise, it's difficult to say, you know, you have to beat Bayern Munich. You can lose to Bayern Munich. And this can happen to any PSG coach, that by early March, you're out of the Champions League, you're miles clear at the top of the league, and, and, and it seems that there's, there's no point in the rest of the season. So I've got some sympathy for him from that point of view. In a way, what else is he supposed to do? And I think it's kind of, a, it's kind of an existential problem and it's a discussion I'd like to get into another day, but not right now. The issue is redistribution of wealth in leagues in general. In other words, there needs to be more possibilities for other clubs to compete with Paris Saint-Germain to make it a proper title race. So we're not sitting here saying, oh, how it must be so hard for them to motivate themselves. But that's a discussion for another time and possibly even, you know, another, another platform. You know, right now, PSG have got a league to win and I'm sure they're going to go on and win it despite all these injury problems. You're listening to Andrew Karl Marx Scots <laughs> on uh, Le, Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in English. Let's let's just just move on a little bit now. Speaking of expectations, and here's a, here's a segue. Christophe Galtier, when he took his team, his Saint Etienne team, to Toulouse for a, a, a winter training camp, I think before they were going to play Manchester United in the Europa League, he would have expected uh, pretty decent weather, even in uh, even in February. Um, I went there to interview Florentin Pogba, who was one of his players at the time, and it was snowing in Toulouse. <laughs> uh, Lille probably would have been hoping for a pretty decent little weekend as well, maybe a maybe a short you know break after the game when they went to the southwest. But it was wet and windy at uh, the uh, at the stadium. Still, Lille taking the win. Alexandro uh, bagging his third of the season, and Mohamed Bayo like this one. It's the latest ever, ever Ligue 1 Uber Eats goal. 90 plus 11. How many people left the stadium before that one? Um, I'm not sure how many people were in the Stade Francois Coty at uh, Ajaxio, which is one of the more picturesque stadia in, in European football, it has to be said, at least the surroundings. Wissam Benyera moving on to 17 goals. Crepin Dieta, Dieta as well getting on... Uh, the score sheet as Monaco get their first win in four. That was a big one uh, for Philippe Clement's side. Uh, really had to win that one against an Ajaxio side in, in deep trouble. They're in even deeper trouble now. The Corsicans slumping down to 19th. Slightly out of trouble, a Strasbourg. They had a big game as well at the weekend against a fellow struggling side, Auxerre. Um, Auxerre in the relegation spots. Strasbourg now courtesy of a 2-0 win. Three points clear. Jezino Niamsi uh, with a with a pretty decent strike on that one. Habib Diallo as well on target too. And it's uh, my it's time for my weekly rant about how 
many, many, many Ligue 1 teams should have really bought Habib Diallo when he was going to leave Mets and uh, not allowed him to go to Strasbourg. Well, Alexis Sanchez, gentlemen, Evergreen is the uh, Chile international. Has to be said that when he came into Marseille in the summer, plenty of scepticism, uh, notably on this podcast. Um, well, he's pretty much silenced everybody right now. He was the hero for Marseille at Reims on Sunday evening, and I have to say it was a fabulous bit of commentary by, I don't know, a young and aspiring commentator. Away by De Smet, and now Reims could break, and they've set Balogun free. Red and white shirt streaming forward, following Balogun. Saved by Lopez. Cosmonetti pulls it back, an opportunity, and Balogun does it again. And Ranser ahead, got away from Veratu. It dragged Gigo out of the middle. And there was all sorts of space for Balogun, who was calling for the ball. Actually, mishit it, did Balogun, but maybe that's how it ended up going into the goal because it went over the outstretched leg of Rangier. But that's the luck that you get when you've already scored 16 goals in a season. And surely. He cannot have dreamed of this. Will still his side lead. A goal to nil against Marseille. But here goes Chingiz under foul. Surely they're going to have a yellow card. Surely not a red. The Marseille. Yes, indeed, there were two players, says Mr. Letexia. Thibaut de Smet, I think, is the man who made the foul. Alexis Sanchez still sporting that. 1940s RAF commander moustache. Sanchez with the free kick. It's a good one. It's a very, very good one. And Marseille level. In off the post. And Diouf had no chance. In off the post. Alexis Sanchez, number 11 for the season for him. It was a penalty last week. It's a free kick this week. Oh, Alexis Sanchez in behind here. And Raz are punished. They fell asleep. And Alexis Sanchez has his second of the game. And it's another assist for Paul Lopez. He's making a real habit of it. Here's the Marseille goalkeeper. It's his third assist of his career. The second this season. You can see Sanchez wanted it. Played into space, Abdelhamid is ball watching. He doesn't see Sanchez go around the blind side. And Alexis Sanchez was not going to miss that. 12 for the season in Ligue 1 for the Chilean. Marseille leads two goals to one. It's across again, deep. Munetzi is there and a chance. Surely! And he's put it wide of all the people. Following Balogun, falls to the ground, his head in his hands. Clipped the outside of the post. What an opportunity. You would have bet more than your house on him scoring. If so, you'd be homeless. Yes, well, I'm sure that commentator will go really, really far. He may end up uh, presenting a, an, a, an official Liga and Uber Eats podcast in English one day. But Alexis Sanchez, he may well have a, a decent career as well. At, uh, what, 34 now? Brilliant free kick. Uh, to, to equalise after the inevitable following Balogun had got on the score sheet for Rance. 
and then a second assist of the season. Uh, maybe this maybe this is PSG's reason for picking two goalkeepers on the bench. Paul Lopez uh, got a second assist of the season, the, the Marseille goalkeeper. Uh, his clearance it, it clearly meant split the two centre-backs, Abdelhamid and, uh, and, and, and Sheikh Keita looking at each other. Sanchez nipped in behind, 2-1 with half an hour gone. And uh, Will Stills' unbeaten start to life as a, as a top coach comes to an end. But Jeremy, Alexi Sanchez, let's be honest. No one thought he was going to be on double figures in, in terms of goals. No, he got five last season for Inter Milan. He's on 12 already this season. He, he's, he's led the line basically on his own, uh, certainly through the middle. I mean, he's, he's, he's just reborn. What, what, what's going on there? Yeah, he is reborn indeed. I don't know if it's the uh, the warmth of the Stade Vélodrome of or the the chaos around the club that maybe reminds him of of his um, natal native Chile, but it's uh, when you see what he's done at Man United and and Inter, there was definitely not a lot of expectations when he when he joined Marseille and uh, and he's he's really showed up. Even when he was great at Arsenal, there was there was word of his behavior in the locker room not being great. So we know how that can that can go in Marseille, but he he has been he has been. I think spectacular all season, and he's been a real leader as far as his fighting spirit and his mindset. I mean, you see him still um, tracking back and and defending and chasing all the way to the end of the game. We've seen the impact of him not being there last week against Strasbourg, when uh, when it probably cost him cost him the the three point eventually to Marseille. So he, he's he's been great. I think he's a bit of the uh, uh, the tree that hides the forest because I think uh, if you look at the last few goals that Marseille have scored, it's. Uh, it's all free kicks and corners and, and that look of an assist from Paulo Lopez that, you know, thanks to the, the defending issues of Reims, Sanchez can, can take over. But, uh, but I think yeah, he's probably hiding the fact that Marseille has, is getting some good results and, and a historical season, their best season in the 21st century. But, uh, but they are not playing that well since the, they came back from the, the World Cup break. And it's great that they can get those points. I think they're going to need a lot more from Sanchez until the, la- the end of the season if they want to keep that second spot. I think what's interesting, uh, Jeremy, is that they've really struggled at home. And yet, that was an eighth successive away win. That's the second best ever record in, in, in Ligue 1, which is jointly held by PSG and, and Monaco. And only the Marseille team of 2008-2009 actually did better and, and got nine, which of course, uh, which of course, Igor Tudor's side are now, now on course to, to equal as well. But, I mean, again, how do, how do, you, how do you explain this, that they play... Away from home, I mean, they went to a Raz side. Raz were unbeaten in the 17 games that they had under Will Still. They went unbeaten in 19 overall. They'd kept six successive clean sheets. And admittedly, Balogun had a good chance uh, early on. He then put Raz ahead. There were some really good saves in there from, uh, from Paul Lopez as well, notably from, from a free kick from, from uh, Alexi Flips, which actually would have been an even better free kick goal than, uh, than than Sanchez's one was. Um, Balogun with a big miss at the end as well, hit the post. Monetzi, just a little uh, a side, side note, he was brilliant yesterday. He was outstanding. He really was. He, he seems to be playing in a much more advanced role, the Zimbabwean, and he's really, I mean, he's in creativity. Look, look at the assist for the first goal. Uh, the little move that he puts on, uh, I think it's uh, Samuel Gigot uh, absolutely destroys him. It, it, it's, it's quite a fabulous performance. But 
Marseille, as I said, much, much, much better on the road. Now, since apparently since the velodrome was was renovated ahead of Euro 2016, it's the third time in a season that Marseille are better away from home than at home. So you talk about the warmth of the velodrome inspiring inspiring Lexi Sanchez, but it it doesn't seem to inspire inspire his teammates quite as much as as admittedly the 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 huge amount of support that they also get on on the road. How how do you see that, Jeremy? I think. Maybe historically is the way the coach have been playing, but I think it applies even more to the way um, Igor Tudor plays. He likes to press high and then he likes to play direct football. But obviously when teams are going to travel to the Stade Velodrome and, and you know, coaches are all sort of at a pretty similar level and they know what they're doing and they're studying their adversaries, they know that if you start packing the bus against a team like Marseille, who's, who's not very creative this season, if you remove Alexis Sanchez or if you remove maybe Unahi, who sometimes when he comes in, has a bit of a spark. Um, well, it's easy to just stay around your 30 meters and just wait for them to give you back the ball because they look a lot like a handball team uh, whenever they have the ball at home. I think it was the same against Sampaoli um, last year when Sampaoli was making them play. It was about the same thing. It was just a lot of passing and not a lot of actually breaking the lines or going through there or trying to provoke. No, no one is really doing this. And the players that can do that, um, they've been... They've been pretty poor technically. I think Marseille uh, in recent games, Nuno Tavares loses like over 20, 30 balls every single game. Um, unfortunately, Jonathan Klaus looks like he's lost his ability to cross the ball because he was he was the best um, right back in the league. And, and all of a sudden, we've seen him missing two or three opportunities in front of goals and he looks like his confidence has gone all the way down. Um, so, so I think that's what we're seeing. And when they play away, especially against teams like Reims, who's actually a great football team who's been better than Marseille I think yesterday in, in most of the game except maybe this half hour after the second game the second goal of Alex Sanchez where they looked a bit fearful that every time Marseille is going to attack they're going to score when you play against a team that is happy to get out of their own on, of their own half then Marseille can actually counter attack then they can play the direct football then they can find Alex Sanchez behind the defense and and it applies to any of those best teams we all know that PSG is even better when a team is actually playing football against them as long as they're not German. Um, so so I, I think that's what happened to Marseille. When Marseille plays at home, the teams know how to play against them. They know that they're going to be pushed by the public. So they try and stay down. And, and we've seen this season too many times, Marseille just finding zero solution when they get into the last 30 meters besides free kicks, corner kicks, or shot from a distance that are deflected. So to me, that this explains that. I'm, I mean, of course, I'm sure that they're trying to... Uh, to find a solution and, and maybe who knows if, if one day he plays he'll be the the most expensive player they ever bought Vitinha. <laughs> yes, he didn't even didn't even come off the bench yesterday, uh Vitinha. And Unahi did uh, a little bit towards the end, the two big January moves of course for, for, for Marseille. Tudor saying in midweek that he was very happy with them. To be honest, he he can't really say much else, can he? Because that, that would be more than implicit crit- criticism of his of his bosses. Andy, Andy, sorry, I, I jumped in there. You're going to mention something. No, I was just scratching the back of my neck and I think you thought I had my hand up. But <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, there is actually one thing I wanted, a comment I wanted to make, which was, uh, which which was if you... If... Don't do that in an auction room. <laughs> Don't do that in an auction room. That's all I can tell you. You may find it. You're going to buy a Monet painting for 15 million. Um, uh, if you look at the fixture list, I think it's interesting actually because they're on this fabulous run away from home. Um the, the fixtures they have left at home are very favourable indeed. Uh, the next one is against Montpellier, who've been on a revival under Michel Derzacarion. 
If they get through that, they have to play Troyes, Auxerre, Angers and Brest at home in the remaining games. So you look at that and you would say out of those five home games, if they don't take at least 13 points, that's a very, very poor performance. The flip side of that is that the away games they've got left are actually quite tough ones. I'm not saying they've been on an easy run of games away from home, but they do still have to play Lyon away, Lens away and Lille away. So at some point, this run of away wins is bound to come to an end. Um, but I think we're at this point now, we say that Marseille look really, really well placed to finish in the top three. I think it would be a big surprise now if they, if they fell away and failed to do that. And the issue then becomes, can they get automatic Champions League qualification? Will it be third place? I'm, I'm leaving aside any suggestion of, of a title race because I think Marseille's defeat to PSG at the end of last month put put to bed any suggestions of that. But they look really, really well placed um, to go on and secure top three, which, you know, in a, in a sense is not guaranteed because you've got Monaco still on the coattails of, of both Lens and Marseille. But it would really... I mean, I, I commentated the Monaco game yesterday uh, and I have to say it was... I, I said this to you, and I think it was probably the worst game that I've seen in Ligue 1 this season. It was not a vintage Monaco performance. I think right now, Marseille looked very good, but I know we brushed over Monaco before. Let's not forget that last season, we're going into the last 10 games of this season. Last season, they won nine and drew one of the last 10 games. So perhaps Monaco will go on a run and that might put Marseille and Lens under a bit of pressure. Yeah, just a, just a quick reminder of how the top of the table looks. PSG, 66 points. Marseille in second, seven points back on 59. Lens, or just uh, two points further back on 57. Monaco, as you said, Andy, hanging on to the coattails on 54. And Rennes on 50. Lille, a point further back, just outside the European places, as things stand, on 49. Then a bit of a gap back to Nice, Lorient and Reims, who were separated by just a point on 44 and then 40, 43. But uh, PSG, interestingly, the only ones in the top six not to win yesterday. But uh, a quick word, a quick word on Reims. As you mentioned, Jeremy, they were the better side for pretty much the whole pretty much the whole game. Manetzi hit a post, and uh, really crucially and, and surprisingly for them, uh, Balogun, who'd already notched uh, a goal in the in the in the first half to open the scoring to move on to seventeen for the season, got a glorious chance in the in the closing stages in in, in added time. Not quite as late as Mohamed Bayo, about ninety plus three, but. Uh, when he seemed absolutely destined to score, he, he just side foot, side foots one off the outside of the post, ends up on the turf with his head in his hands. Rance's run of 19 unbeaten games, 17 under Will still, uh, comes to an end in the league. They had, of course, been beaten in the Coupe de France by by Toulouse. But let's just have a quick... They've, they've played some fabulous football and, and not worried about them. They're, they're 20 points clear of the relegation zone. That would take something quite <laughs> remarkable them to be in anywhere near uh, in, in, in trouble but Balogun now I said it in commentary yesterday unfortunately I don't think we're going to be seeing following Balogun in, in a rant shirt certainly next season I mean we, we could maybe see him in in Ligue 1 if somebody like PSG were, were particularly interested but I mean he looks a very 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 good young forward 17 goals as I mentioned apparently in open dialogue with the U.S. men's national team because he was born in New York City, moved to, to London and grew up there when he was about uh, about two years old. Um, I mean, we talked about Alexis Sanchez coming 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 back, but but Balogun, 
you know, Marseille had a lot of success with on loan Arsenal players, but Balogun is has, has come out of nowhere for for, for, for most of us. He, he he got his first goal actually in the four one defeat to Marseille in Marseille uh, on the first first day of the season. But uh, I mean. What have you seen of Balogun this season, Jeremy, and, and, and how much have you liked him? He's been great. I have to say, I wish I had heard your commentary yesterday during the game, because in Australia, it was the uh, the, the US team. And uh, with all, um, without disrespecting our colleagues from the US, I heard a lot of Rem and Cabor and, and Bailey in, in the game, uh, which, which was funny to, uh, to follow in. I'm sure, I'm sure yours were, were perfect, Ian. Um, they were talking about Balogun during, during that. Um, game though and they were saying the same thing that th- there is word that maybe um, maybe he could go to the to the US national team and I think I think either way for him it's it's a good call if he goes to the US he ends up playing a World Cup at home in in a few uh, years so so on the short term it's good if he go if he stays with England and if you stick with England I think he'll have his shots a- anyway as far as the Arsenal go- team goes they're pretty stacked up front and they're doing well uh, under Arteta so in my opinion very much what happened to Kalim Wendo when he was uh, on loan twice uh, two seasons in a row with Lance. If I was him, and if you're going to make the right choice for your own career, get another get another loan under your belt before you go back to Arsenal, unless you know that there's a clear path that Gabriel Jesus isn't staying, um, that um, Enkechia isn't staying, because right now there's people up front for Arsenal. So a second season at Reims even would be, I think, a great idea for him to to you know stay somewhere where he's already confident, comfortable, where the team knows him. Uh, and where he can perform twice in a row and really build that confidence. To me, that's the right move as a footballer. Of course, there are other um, other things to consider, I'm sure, and, and it's hard to say no to Mikel Arteta if he tells you that he wants you to, to play for him next year and, and that you're here to, to defend the title that they might win at the end of the season. So in, in my opinion, both staying in France and playing with the US is probably the right move football-wise uh, for Balogun. Will he, will he not? I'm not sure. He's been excellent. This season, I think Reims is very un- is a really understated team. If anybody had any doubt, seeing them playing against Marseille and and winning more duels than Marseille, where Marseille has been so good in the midfield all season, is a real testament to what Will still has been doing. And Balogun has been one of those main assets in in Will's team's gameplay. So hopefully, he's with us in Ligue 1 for for another season, uh, and hopefully, we can we can see him grow a bit more. Andy, are we looking at a, a potential new star, or is it is this another Jordan Ciabatta? No, I, th- I think I think Balogun might well be the real deal. Um, his his explosion this season with Rance is 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 um, is pretty remarkable. I think it's you know even more remarkable than surely what Rance could have expected in their wildest dreams. I mean, last season he scored uh, three goals in twenty odd games for Middlesbrough in the Championship, in the second tier. So to go from that to this now is is really impressive. Um, I think he's got a big career ahead of him. I agree with a lot of what Jeremy's saying. I, I find it hard to believe, though, that he'll still be at Rance next season. I think that there's probably going to be some some other kind of path being devised by Arsenal. I'm not convinced that they'll be saying we're going to have him in the first team next season. But I'm not sure that they'll, you know, they might look at maybe somewhere else they can farm him out to for another year, and then take it from there. I mean, I mean, you know, you could. I mean, I, I don't want to get into talking about Arsenal too much when we have other contributors to this podcast who follow them much more closely than I do. But you could argue that they are looking still for a really prolific goal scorer. I know Gabriel Jesus has had his injury problems, but um, you know nobody in that Arsenal team has scored 20-plus goals this season, despite the fact they're flying high at the top of the Premier League. So maybe one day he will be that man. I'm not sure that he is that man just yet. But, I mean, I've heard on other 
you know, other platforms, people saying that, well, maybe the idea with Balogun will just be to sell him on for huge money at some point. Maybe he will never make the first team there. I don't know. I think Balogun could be the real deal. But I think that his 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 Arsenal career might have to wait a little bit to take off. And I think that I think the chances of seeing him at Rance next season have to be pretty slim because he's done so well. Unfortunately, that's just the way it works, right? If you're at a club like Rance, you do really well. You don't tend to stay for all that long. So, um, yeah, that that would be a shame. But for now, they, they, they need to enjoy having him because he, he, he is a really, really exciting talent. Well, that, that, that segs beautifully into another exciting talent, El Yewahi. Montpellier, as, uh, as mentioned earlier, Michel Desacarian has uh, worked his magic, which um, I'm quite surprised by because he doesn't look like the sort of man who, who does a lot of magic, uh, pulls rabbits out of hats. But he's certainly done so and returning to Montpellier, 16 points in his last six games. They're safe now, surely. Montpellier 2, Clermont 1, Eliwahi, four goals in his last three. Montpellier coming from behind to, to win that one. Now, Wahi, I thought, interestingly, in midweek, saying that probably for him, the move, if it comes in the summer, and it probably almost certainly will, won't it? The step up is going to be most likely in Liga. Do we, did, uh, Andy? You, you, you're nodding your head vigorously. Yeah. So either you're making another bid, or uh, <laughs> or you're actually agreeing with um, me. So I didn't. I didn't actually see him make that comment. I must admit, but. Um, I was thinking about Eliwai on when he when I saw that he scored the two goals yesterday against Clermont. And I was thinking he's only I mean he's younger than Fular and Balogun. He's only twenty, um, and um, I was thinking to myself that it would be it would be you know I don't want to say it'd be nice because I think if I were a Montpellier fan I wouldn't want to see him go. But I think it would be good to see Eliwai make a sort of intermediate step in his career next, whether it be this summer or, or the next one, rather than being picked up by a really big club where he doesn't play because that's something that really upsets me when I see, you know, big clubs stockpiling players and not playing them, you know, and I think it can often stunt players' careers and I think it's very hard for a young player to turn down a move to a really big club if one comes in. So, you know, I was thinking, mean, the name that came into my mind just thinking about it was a club like Wren, right? Wren have got a reputation for, they, 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 are, they are a well-off club. They can afford to spend, you know, fees of 20, 25 million, which is probably what it'll take to get L-E-Y. Um, the flip side of that is, you know, do they need him? Because they've got Terrier, they've got Guiri, they've got Kalimuendo. But that's the kind of club, the kind of profile I think it would make sense for a player like Ilyuay to go to. And obviously, you know, you can cite other examples in league and clubs like Lille, for example, who are going to um, probably sell one of their top players in the summer. So they might be looking for somebody. You know, your Monaco's, you know, you don't know how long Wissam Ben Yedder is going to be there. So there are plenty of options. Um, that why you could go to within league and spend a couple of years there, and then if all works out, get a big move to you know let's face it, probably England. You know, boring old Premier League, but that that is the kind of career path I think it would make sense for a player like Ly to take. He's he's another really exciting talent, and of course we're used to this in league and we're used to to really exciting young players coming through, and it's great to see. Yes, the the, the farmers, the so-called farmers league, seems to be uh, ploughing a rich furrow, shall we say, of youth youth talent, and uh, surprisingly given its uh, reputation sometimes outside of these borders, has done so pretty much for the last 30 years and provided, as, as you mentioned, the boring old Premier League with it's, pretty it's much really, every I'm one sorry, of their it's best really, it's players. It's really ironic, right? And I say this as a, Scot- I say this as a Scotsman, uh, you know, uh, you know, say this, I mean, like, and, you know, English football can be great and stuff, but I'm sorry, but it's a bit odd, isn't it, that people complain about oh, how rubbish French football is and then 
uh, you know, they, oh, these guys go to go go to England and they all happen to be like the best players. You know, the best players all. To, it's not like it's not like they they come from this league in France and they're really good in France and then they go to England and they can't handle the step up. I mean, often these guys are the best players, the best players in the Premier League. So. I find it really strange, you know. I find I find it really strange, but yeah, it's it's a the the level of football in France is pretty high. Let's put it that way, and and um, that is borne out when you see what these guys do when they go abroad. Well, having said that, we've only got one European representative uh, still still that, in the competition, and but that's... Ian, so, sorry to interrupt you. That that's that's a different question. That's not about. Sorry, I was just trying to say. No, I mean, no, no, I, no, I know, but that I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't raising but, an issue there. I was just moving. But in. that, but that, that is something that's often, often used to, to as, as you know, as a stick to beat, to beat French football with, right? But, the, but just because you don't get results in Europe does not mean that you're not good enough. There are lots of other things that come into play there, and I think again, that's an interesting uh, discussion. Well, thanks, Andy, for ruining my uh, almost perfect segue into Nice's one-one draw with Lorient. Nice unbeaten now in ten. But it took a, a fine goal from Gaetan Laborde to, to, to rescue a point at the Allianz Riviera. Three draws on the bounce looks like that Nice's dreams of European football next season may be fading just a little bit. Lyon's only route into Europe next season will be the Coupe de France. They have to win it and to do so they're going to have to beat Nantes away in the semi-finals. They played them at the Group Armour, so at home, uh, at the weekend, a 1-1 draw, which um, I'm actually, I mean, I wouldn't mind a 1-1 draw in the, the Coupe de France semi-final. I'm going to commentate that game. It is going to be pretty cold, but we don't have extra time. So we'd go straight to a penalty shootout. So that'd be, that would be actually quite nice. And I have great memories of Nantes' win over Monaco in, in, in last season's, I think it was semi-final. It was a, a, a fabulous, fabulous evening. But Alexandre Lacazette, talking of Arsenal strikers, 17 goals uh, for Lyon this season, level with uh, following Balogun, actually. It was his 150th goal for the club. He's now the outright second top scorer in club history. Who's the uh, the top scorer? Is that Fleury de, Fleury de Nalo? Gold? Great name. What a name. Trois, still in trouble. Patrick Kisnobo after that. Four points from his first couple of games, struggling. But they would have had uh, they would have had three points late equaliser from uh, Roman Del Castillo, who's got one of the best names in, in world football for my money, from the penalty spot for Brest. A point that keeps Brest out of the bottom uh, four. Trois still very much in it, but uh, still very much also in the race to keep themselves out of that uh, ultimate drop at the end of the season. So we talked about the top of the table. Marseille, they were in third place at kickoff on Sunday, and that's because on Saturday, Lens had played at home to Angers. Callum Brown saw this one. Poor from Angers. Give that straight to Los Openza. Openza strike. Early opportunity for Lens. The Belgian on a high still after his fine five minute spell behind by Paul Bernardoni. Samad again, ball in behind for Seco Fofana, there's the opener for Lance. it has been coming, and it's captain fantastic, his fourth of the season, and Lance take a deserved lead, a great run from the Ivorian, and he slots it beyond Paul Bernardoni, Salis Abdul Samad he picks out his 
central midfield partner having been denied by Bernard only only a few minutes ago captain smashes that into the far corner beyond the goalkeeper and Lawrence have the lead Thomas Hunt running the ball high up the pitch he finds Los Openda chance for two Openda it is two back to business for the Belgian a hat-trick last weekend it's taken him just half an hour to get his first tonight poor from Angers masters of their own downfall quite like Clermont last weekend against Lons but it's a lovely turn isn't it from Lois Openda it's a fantastic finish slots it beyond Bernardoni and they have the two goal cushion and best defence against Ligan's worst lovely move to start this second half and Openda's in behind chance for a third it is 27 seconds after the restart and Lois Openda his fifth goal in two games that's a great ball from the central defender Jonathan Grady and Openza in behind camera he had him for pace it's another finish on his left foot beyond Bernardoni and the second half is barely kicked off Lance make it 3-0 Openza also Openza white for Sotoka back to Openza denied a hat-trick what a stop it is from Bernardoni it's a terrific ball it's a great save as well equal to it so close to a hat-trick that would have made it back-to-back hat-tricks so Lois Appenda after his hat-trick uh, in about uh, five minutes the previous week gets a, a couple as well Seko Fafana on target two um, talking of uh, fine up-and-coming strikers Lois Appenda I mean again the scouting of Lance, that is absolutely that's that is sensational work, it really is. But <laughs> not going to, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Lance. And you mentioned about Marseille being in a good position, Andy, to finish in the top three. Lance, obviously, in a good position. They're th- <laughs> they're in third, but are they going to do it? Are we going to see Lance in the Champions League next season? And when I say that, I almost get goosebumps at the thought at the prospect of that stadium. That stadium on a Champions League night must be, I would like to use an expletive, but I won't, mental. <laughs> Are they going to do it, Andy? Um, well, I think that the um, certainly the, the form they've been in would suggest, you know, why not? They, they've, they've looked on course for a top three finish pretty much all season long. Um, they are very, very strong at home. And the atmosphere certainly, you know, you could argue that the atmosphere at the Velodrome sometimes works against Marseille, but the atmosphere at the Bullard seems to help Lance enormously. Um, they've got some difficult games still to come. <clears throat> they've still got to go to Paris. They've still got to play Marseille, I believe. I think they might still have to play Monaco too. So huge games in which in which their, their final position will be determined in. I think it would be fabulous to see. I mean, you know, obviously Monaco have finished in third place in the last couple of years and fallen short of the group stage. One level you could say from a neutral perspective, it'd be nice to see somebody else get in there. The other viewpoint would be that despite what Monaco have done in the last couple of seasons, they're more likely to be in a position in terms of the strength of their squad to come through the qualifying rounds in the Champions League. Now, that might sound odd given that they've failed to do it in the last two years, but you know you tend to think that Monaco going into a season would stand a better chance of, of, of making the group stage from the qualifying rounds. 
that might be tricky for loss. And for, from a French viewpoint, obviously we need to have every every club possible in the Champions League group stage. So maybe that's a different argument because everything would suggest that what Lens have done in recent years would suggest that they'd be quite capable of building a team, strengthening the squad in the right places, keeping the right players, and knowing that if they move somebody on, they have a replacement lined up. Maybe they can have a strong enough team in place. But then again, we're coming to a point now where they lost the sporting director, Florent Gisolfi, who, who has built the team over the last few years. He left for Nice back in, in the early months of the season. So it's it's a new recruitment team who are who are working on 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 new signings now. So you know if they finish third, and the new recruitment team is having to target the right players to to make them capable of reaching the Champions League group stage, that's going to be a big ask for them. In a way, that's a different discussion. Right now, they look like a pretty good bet to finish in the top three. But as I said, they've got these really big games to come. I mean, we're we're just heading into this international break now. A chance for a team like Lens to regroup and and. Um, re-energize for the final couple of months of the season and that, that's when we head into the the, 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 the the big period of the campaign where the, the pressure is on and the fight for European places is going to be really interesting but look, it looks like Lens are going to be in European competition of some sort and I think their fans will be quite happy with a Europa League place even a Europa Conference League place I think you know I think that they would just be delighted to be in Europe and I think it would be great for fans around Europe to see a huge European night in, in that stadium because the atmosphere is 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 really really something else Jeremy, you're a little bit biased as a as a Marseille fan, and and, and as as we're looking at you on this uh, on this call, there's a picture of the Stade Velodrome behind you, and and I, I believe it's the the 1993 celebrations after that inaugural Champions League win. But can Lens actually overhaul Marseille? Yeah, and uh, and 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 finish and, and and finish in second. I mean, the the, the crucial game, obviously, it, it is it's looking to be that week week 34 game and it's it's in Lens. Uh that's the I mean Marseille as we said been fantastic away from home but going to Lens that is that is not an easy trip and not an easy trip at all. It, it's not an easy trip and and uh, you know sort of like good fans to to another we know how amazing Lens uh, fans have been and I think there've always been respect between the two clubs for both revendicating that they are the best fan base in, in France and, and respecting each other for that, Marseille and Lens. I think to end this point, the, the schedule for Lens is probably the, the tricky there. Um, Paris and, and Marseille, out of their last 10 games, I've, I think they play against seven teams that are between 12th and 20th in, in the table, whether Lens is playing Reims, Paris, Monaco, Toulouse, Marseille, um, and, and then they're finishing against Ajaccio and Auxerre, who by then will probably be fighting for survival in Ligue 1. So it's not an easy, it's not an easy schedule, I think, for, for Lens. And that's where we're going to see what they're really made of. Um, they've hit a bit of a slump in, in the past couple of months. You know, again, to Andy's point, losing Gisolfi, we went from seeing players coming from the MLS and the Eredivisie to a winter transfer window where Thomason and Fulgini arrive, which are doing good for Lens. But it's, I guess, less exotic and less um, discovering a talent. Um, it, it's two players who have done well in Ligue 1. And we are now doing okay at last. So, so it, it's going to be about can they do it? Can they get the same performance that they were having at the beginning of the season against bigger teams? Because they haven't been able to do that in 2023. So Franck Hez is, is facing a challenge there. It's been two years now that we we feel bad that they failed just before the, the European Conference League spot. This year, they seem that they will have it. I think you almost want them to finish fourth rather than third. So they have a real shot at getting ready for the Europa League and at actually shining 
in, in the European spot because we know how great they can be at home. Stad Bollard is amazing in Ligue 1. He'll, he'll be bursting with, with, with candor and, and with energy and atmosphere in, in Champions League or, sorry, or in Europa League even. So, so I'm looking forward to seeing them playing in Europe next year because I'm not doubting they're going to make it. I think it's a, it's a hard 10 games that they have between now and the end of the season and I don't know if they have the depth to be able to make it. I'd just like to point out as well a, a really nice touch on, on, on Saturday. Um, the Lens players wearing their usual numbers but the names on the back were the names of their teammates, which which was so you had Florian Satoka wearing uh, wearing Samba on his back. Uh, Seko Fafana had Jean Louis Lecker's name on the back, which are, which I like. The backup goalkeeper is a bit of a a bit of a character, uh, shall we say? And again, maybe yeah, exactly. He scored. Maybe this is what PSG were thinking. I don't, I don't know. When they have the two goalkeepers that on the bench been, again, that would have been that um, would have been a, a nightmare for a commentator who hadn't done his research. I was just wondering what the US, uh, the our US colleagues would have made uh, would have made of that. That would have been very interesting. But it was um, it was a nice touch and uh, I think an, an important message as well about anti discrimination, uh, saying no to racism and uh, Lance. Again, deserve deserve a huge a huge amount of credit for for not only the way that they played on the pitch this season, but how they handle things off it. It's a, a really a really class move. You're listening to Le Bourgeois, the official League Arm podcast in English. You can catch us on Twitter, of course, at League One World or at League One underscore ENG, and please do like us, recommend us, subscribe, follow us on all the usual podcast platforms it's time now for our deja who quiz it means that you can win a very very fine ligan uber eats team shirt every single month but to do so you've got to be an absolute genius i mean you've got to answer all the four questions in the month and get the uh, special link as well between between the players to have a chance of winning you need to email your answers in because we like to do things a little bit old school on Le Bourgeois, that's to league1podcast at gmail.com. So the question today is, who am I? I began and ended my career in France, but spent just five seasons in the top flight. My reputation and trophy cabinet was built during a successful 13 seasons overseas. Throughout my career, I played with Gerald Vanenberg and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Walter Samuel and Samuel Gigo, Olivier Dacour and Patrick Vieira, John Carew and Adrian Mutu, Adrian Rabio and Serge Aurier. Who am I and what do I have in common with March's other candidates? Andy just raised his arm and touched his ear. He clearly knows the answer. Who is it, Andy? And I'm sorry, he's making yet another bid in the auction. If you think you know who it is, because Andy has absolutely no clue, I'm pretty sure of that, send your answers via email to league1podcast at gmail.com. Jeremy, you're far more uh, intellectual than me and Andy. Uh, Any ideas? Who is Gerald Vandenborg? (laughs) (laughs) That's, yeah, the, the, the... Actually, the clue was not in the answer. It, 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 the, the, sorry, the answer was not in the clue. It's it's not Gerald Vandenberg, actually. But uh, yes, look, you can look at Google that one, children. Played in France. So it's the in- <laughs> Gerald Vandenberg played yeah. in France. Don't 
Uh, Andy, 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 come on, stop googling. You didn't know that. No, 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 I looked him up. <laughs> I seem to remember him from the from the. the am I right? Then could he could he have even played in the in the Euro uh, winning squad of nineteen eighty eight? Sure, yes, not with yes, latter. yes. It's, oh, did he? Wow. Okay, I'm surprised. Anyway, with uh, Jan Wouters and uh, the people like this, Hans van Brooklyn, who I interviewed once, that was a really good, really good interview. Anyway, I digress as usual. It's the international break. A little time for us to put our feet up and uh, and have a little breather, just the same as for some of the footballers. Although Marseille have 16, 16 players away on international duty, so they are going to be busy. PSG will have a, a similar amount, no doubt. And then they'll all come back, hopefully fresh and firing for round 29 of the Ligue 1 Uber Eats season. It's time for us to take a little trip into the future and have a little bon voyage. So, gentlemen, some of the ties of round 29. Uh, Jeremy, Marseille against Montpellier, we've mentioned already. That's a huge one at the bottom of the table at the Stade de la Vie des Champs. Auxerre against Troyes. Ren against Lens. That's uh, always a, a always a good game and uh, always a brilliant atmosphere as well. It has to be said at uh, at Roseanne Park. And and uh, here we go. Weekly mention for you know. I don't even need to say it anymore, do I? Lille Lorient, uh, Angers, Nice, Brest, Toulouse, Clermont, Ajaccio, Nantes, Re- uh, Reims, or Reims if you prefer. Monaco, Strasbourg. Or Strasbourg, as we might prefer, Jeremy. And uh, Paris Saint-Germain against Olympique Lyonnais. Gentlemen, where do we fancy? Um, well, I, w- I mean, I would choose Brittany. I would choose Rennes against Lens for all that we talked about. I think um, I think that's that's a huge game in the European race. Rennes, very, very good at home. Lens, you know, it's the start of this really difficult run of games that they have going into the end of the season. And, and we'll see their top three credentials so that's going to be a terrific game and and as we've talked about before and as I think you were referring to Ian there are certain culinary delights in Rennes which are always worth sampling and and Rennes in general is a lovely city for a weekend so um, you know a nine o'clock kickoff on a Saturday makes it perfect you know you can head there early in the day have a nice lunch as you and I you and I have done before Ian and Rennes and then you can you know you can stay the night and, and have a lazy morning on a Sunday as well so I would strongly recommend a trip to Rennes for that one I couldn't tell which culinary delights are you talking about you're talking about those half time Quite right, but it is. It's a. It is. I can tell you as well. If you do go to Rennes, in all seriousness, okay, try the Galette Saucisse. That's also serious. But you can have a brilliant, a lovely walk, a lovely walk from the town centre <clears throat> to the stadium along the river. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's probably my favourite, my favourite um, match to go to a Rennes game because the atmosphere is great. Uh, the, the walk from the city centre there and back, it's not very long, maybe 20 minutes or so. It's absolutely fabulous. It's, there's a beautiful uh, a lock with a little a little house there. The lock keeper's uh, old house, obviously. The stadium in the background, it's delightful. Uh, Jeremy, where do you fancy? You know, you talk about food, I, I, I like beverages, so I'll probably go and see Auxerre and Trois playing mm. around that champagne area over there. A nice little... Derby um, of the southeast of Paris. Uh, I, I think it'll be an interesting game. Mind you, Angie earlier said that that game between Monaco and, and Ajaccio was one of the of the worst one you've seen. Uh, I think Auxerre and Troyes is going to have quite a few 
unfortunately for them, defensive mistake in them, but it'll make the game interesting. And, and it is a relegation battle and a derby. So uh, always a good game between uh, those two teams. Yeah, you have to. I mean, you also at the Parc des Princes, I mean, Lyon have also had a little bit of a hoodoo over Paris Saint-Germain. And we know that they are the let's perform against the big boys team par excellence. And imagine, just imagine, and sorry, Robbie, you can, Robbie Thompson could just block your ears right now. But imagine a second successive home defeat for Paris Saint-Germain, albeit separated by an international break. That would, Le, Le Chat would be very much among the pigeons uh, should, should, should that happen. Anyway, let's see how those matches pan out after what should be a very interesting international window. I'm sure Andy uh, is, is going to be busy. Jeremy will be watching Le Bleu if he can work out what time zone uh, they're, they're actually playing in because Jeremy's uh, joining us from, from Australia. All that's left for me to say is uh, thank you very much for joining us and uh, we'll see you again after the international break. Au revoir and à bientôt. Bye bye. Yeah.